what's going on? Not much, man. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm cool. doing good. Um, yeah, it's good to be hanging with you guys tonight. Can you guys, is the audio on my sound all right on my side? Yeah. 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 It sounds clean. good. Sounds good. Cool. I, I just got the basic, uh, you know, Apple headphones in. No, that'll, and, uh, that'll work. At, at, at any point, you know, while I'm sequestered back here in my bedroom, uh, my children are seven and three. And uh, so if you if you do pick up a little bit of wildness in the background, just we'll just keep moving. Yeah. All right. Well, we're we're uh, it wouldn't be our first rodeo with that. I think I would actually go as far to say as wildness is in, is encouraged. Yeah. Yeah. Bring them in. Bring them in. <laughs> Have them sit on your lap for a moment. You know? Yeah. It, it, that might happen. <laughs> cool, man. Well, uh, yeah, we'll dive into it since I know that, uh, you know, your time is sort of precious right now. You got this young family and, um, and I really super appreciate the fact that you're willing to take a couple, you know, some time out of your day to, to chat with us. Um, it's crazy. I mean, the last time I saw you was November and the world just could not be more different, which is, uh, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. And, uh, obviously. Yeah. That's, it's, yeah. It's so wild, man. Like I, I got back from that trip, which was you know, up more in your neck of the woods, um, the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, we were on this little Island out in the Puget sound, just completely froze my ass off and got back. And I ended up, I ended up coming down with walking pneumonia shortly after that whole trip. And it was wild. And then this whole thing came down and afterward I was like, Oh, you know, of course, like the whole coronavirus thing comes out and all of us like evaluating anytime that we've gotten sick or like, you know, had a cough in the past like three months. And I'm like, Oh man, shit. You know, I have coronavirus up there, there, you know, on that, on that retreat and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, it was a wild time. And then after that, yes, everything is completely different. So, um, how have you been, uh, how have you been holding up amidst all of, all of everything that's been going on. What's your, what's your life been like the last, uh, couple months? Yeah. Um, you know, I, one, I, I mean, we're incredibly fortunate. I, I'm, you know, to be in a, the position that we're in my, my day job allows me to work remotely, you know, very, very easily. And, um, I've been really supportive in that. So it's been really consistent, something I'm really uh, grateful for. Um, my wife and I also, we own, um, a salon here in, in Sacramento, kind of in the midtown area that was shut down. So that was a bit, you know, we had to navigate that with small kids or schools. And like a lot of people, we had to navigate that whole thing. And at the very beginning of this whole thing, you know, we, we were those parents who were like creating like color charts for like schedules for our kids Mm -hmm. and like we just had everything dialed we're like okay we're gonna like we're gonna master this thing and you know we hit the first like maybe week or two just running hard you know we got in this routine and like two weeks into it i threw out my back like really really bad um you know i've had i've had some back issues um over time but threw out my back twice in 48 hours. And so I was laid up on my bed, literally just helpless. Like wife was having to like, help me like simply go to the bathroom. And it was just this whole thing where not only was it like 
okay, I can't really leave my house. We're in this shelter, but I can't even get off my bed. And so that was a really hard time for me, man. Like I a quarantine within a quarantine, if you will. <laughs> yeah, it was. And you know, I realized interesting, like I was still trying to kind of work through it. And I talked to a buddy of mine, Rainier, who, you know, um, kind of called me up one day and I, I remember, and Rainier is this really just, uh, just incredible, like men's coach and, and just wise sage, uh, he asked me this question as I was laying there. He's like, man, I got to Let me ask. He's like, why did you choose this? Like, why did you, why did you choose this? And I'm like, ah, oh, okay. Like, you know, Rainier is really smart guy. Like, I'm sure there's a purpose in this right, question. But you're but like, really choose what? Choose to have my back thrown out? Cause I didn't fucking choose that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I'm like, well, you know, maybe I haven't really been doing a lot of my, my post-workout stretches really well. Maybe I haven't been, you know, oh, I've been going on, you know, I've been holding my daughter differently. And maybe that's kind of been this, I mean, he's like, oh yeah, cool. But like, no, why did, why else? And I think what he was really getting at is I really engaged this time. Like I tr tried to somehow like work my way out of it. Like I was somehow trying to like beat coronavirus and the way it was showing up in our life with, you know, plans and charts and, and graphs and schedules and just really trying to like still in the midst of it, like create and produce this thing. And my inattention to my own life, my inattention to really some of my fear, my anxiety, I was, that was the body doesn't lie, right? The, our bodies will tell the truth. And my body was telling the truth and I was really holding all of that in my back. And I think that had a lot to do with it. So that was a real turning, turning point for me. I mean, you know, lying on my bed, just really trying to um, adopt some new meditative practices, breath work, and even slow down. I mean, I got the universe slowed me down, you know, sure. and I think that was something that I really needed in that moment. Um, even with a global pandemic, I was still trying to work, you know, produce my way out of it. And that was a turning point for me. And since then, um, I've really been able to slow down. Um, you know, we, we go through our ups and downs. Um, I think as this time has progressed on, uh, the kids are having a harder and harder time, not, uh, seeing friends and the social lives are definitely being impacted. But, uh, in the midst of all that, I think we have found, I don't know. I, I think talking to a lot of people, there's this time's made a, uh, I think made a lot of people more honest. I think individually. Right. It's forcing us to sort of just like, look at, look at our lives. What's really important. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, all of that. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, I think I, I've talked to one, I've talked to a handful of guys that have been laid up for one thing or another, like injury, like an injury, a back injury or something like that. I think when we, when we slow down, you know, and, um, we have time to like actually think we have time to reflect. We have like, we are kind of forced to take a look at ourselves and, and what's happening in our lives. I talk to a lot of people who are making major decisions about the trajectory of their lives, their jobs, their relationships they're mm -hmm. in. And I think this time is kind of, how does that for kind of forcing us into some honesty? So, yeah, yeah, that's a trip, man. There's a lot of people I think that probably get to the end of their life before they have to do any of that. If they don't have those uh -huh. moments where everything kind of slows down, 
to to process that all. Yeah. That could be a wild thing to. It's interesting. It sort of feels like uh, collectively, um, what's being served to humanity right now is sort of like this: the call, the first call of the of the hero's journey, right? Of something well, happening to you, and you have to like answer that call and say like, "Well, how am I going to respond to this?" Um, and it seems like there's a good chunk of humanity that's that's really answering the call right now, which is very fucking cool to see. Uh, and it feels like, at least here in Portland, it feels like we're we're definitely living through a revolution. But um, yeah, it does very much feel like like it's that. It's like the first stage in in the hero's journey, and we're we're just in a way like you know as awful as, as so much of this stuff is um we're also in a way blessed to to be forced into like you don't have a choice either you're you're in or you're out you answer the call or you don't um there are lots of people who have lived their entire lives who never um were served something you know on this level so for sure yeah but then, then there's, Rock- a lot of, there's a lot of different ways to look at it i mean you're right like you know, there's a lot of things to, I'm sure we'll get into it, you know, that are being unmasked right now, like revealed and the, you know, a lot of the brokenness in, in systems and people and groups is being revealed at the same time. Like, man, within like a pretty short window of time, like everybody, like just like stayed home and like got together and was like, hey, okay, we're gonna figure this out. We're gonna we're gonna work from home. We're gonna adjust this. We're gonna close this. We're gonna do this. We're gonna we're gonna adjust our lives for a small like percentage of people. We're all gonna make this sacrifice for it. And there were a lot of people who really got on board with that. Yeah, and that's that's pretty incredible. Like sure. to to think about. Agreed. Also, Ryan, you have this whole other level that you have to deal with and and. Uh, and nurture that Andrew and I don't because neither of us have kids. So I can't imagine also you're you're trying to like answer the call for yourself, but then also yeah. trying to figure out how to make the best decision for your kids for sure. and like trying to figure out how to help them appreciate um, the time that they have right now, even though they can't be doing all the things that they want to do. So mm-hmm. big ups to you for, you know, that that end of it. That That is something I've definitely thought about a lot during this is that I don't have an obligation to someone else during this. I just have to like figure it out for myself. So. Yeah. For, you know, a lot of parents out there, this is not an easy time. You know, it's uh, to talk about I'm 38, man. And this is hard for me, you know, and, and I have to just, that's just one thing I keep on back and reminding myself, like this is a challenge for me to get my mind and, and body and heart and, person around you know these seven and three-year-olds gosh man like the way and it comes you know it comes out for them too in a lot of different ways and so i just have to continue to remind myself and and hold space for them very graciously um, be very attentive to their um their needs their physical mental emotional needs um but yeah, man, hats off to a lot of parents out there who have been navigating this time. It's no, uh, it's no, it's no easy task. Yeah, certainly not. Um, I have a hard time just showing up for myself every day. I can't imagine, yeah. uh, having like two, you know, little kids that I got to make sure that I'm showing up for them. Um, so and yeah. It, yeah. And you know what? Like, it's not about getting it like perfect either. Like really, like no one wins this, like there's no prize at the end. Right. 
you know, right. and just I think it's got to do your just, best every day. You do. And it's, and, and being gracious with yourself and saying, you know, my, one of the things my wife and I are always about with our kids is like, we're just, we're just really honest about like our, Hey, this is where we might've fallen short. For let's, sure. let's talk with them, communicate with them. Let's open about that and say, Hey, we're, we're learning as well. And we're, um, we, we make mistakes. We, we lose our temper. We, you know, we don't make the right choices sometimes too. And, and it's about working through that together and just being really open about that kind of helps us with a lot of flexibility. I think that's so cool because for me, like your kids are pretty young still. And, and for me growing up, like, and I think this is probably true for the majority of kids growing up worldwide, but definitely in America, like you just view your parents as like, you are, they're the truth, you yeah. know, you're mm-hmm. an adult and you kind of view all adults and authority that way of just like, you just, you know, the things and I don't know the things. And so I just listen to what you say. Um, but we, how powerful is it when you have an adult be like, actually, I was wrong. I was wrong to do that. I was wrong to say that. Yeah. I don't know that I ever had an adult look at me in my childhood and say, I was, I was incorrect about that. Um, and I take it back or I'm sorry or whatever that just, it was not a fun. And and that's not to hate on the adults in my life and my childhood, but it's just not a part of our, our culture really even today. So that's very cool. Yeah. You do think that they are like these, these superheroes and then you get older, you know, I'm in my mid thirties now and it's, it's like every day you just continue to realize it's it's that whole thing of uh, we're all just out here and and your parents are too. They're yeah. just like you yeah. you realize that you you know they're it's just regular people. Yeah, they're just a regular person, and it it becomes easier to reflect on maybe their missteps and and kind of see like yeah, they're there's human people. You cannot expect any set of parents to to like make every correct decision. Yeah. It's not possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it's like we, when kids get to a certain age, I, I, I've heard this said, you know, and, you know, you, a kid gets to a certain age and you know that they know better. They know, you know better than to do X to your sister. Hey, you know better than to talk about, talk this way to someone. Um, and I have to remember that. Yeah. You know what? I know better too, actually, and I don't always get it right. Right, right. So the expectation <laughs> that I have on a child to always get it right is our, so I, I right. think continuing to go back. I mean, really, uh, I have discovered in, in my, you know, coming up on, on eight years of parenting, not very much time, but in my eight years, I've, that's so, the, the most important thing that I can do in, in this relationship with my kids and my family is the, is really taking care of myself. Mm. Um, not in the selfish way. I'm not talking about like going out and like getting a massage every day. I'm just talking about the doing the inner work and being able to, uh, work on my own emotional, uh, world and regulation and me being able to get in touch with myself. Sure. And that really just bleeds over into everything else. Right. For Cause sure. if you, if you do that, then you can truly show up for your family and for your children mm-hmm. being the light yeah. on the hill. Speaking of, of children and childhood. Um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about how you sort of your upbringing and specifically, you know, your upbringing with spirituality and religion and, and kind of how that brought you to, to where you are today uh and again i know i already said this to you but um yeah you can share as much or as little as you'd like um but 
Yeah. Wait, yeah. Tell us a little well, bit about I, that. Yeah, man. I appreciate the question. I'm an open book about that. Um, yeah. So I am a, you know, grew up in eighties, nineties, you know, conservative evangelical Christian culture. Um, and which, um, now at 38, looking back on that, I can do so with probably more gentleness than I did at certain other uh, other parts of my life. Um, I'll just say at the top that I grew up in a, a house with parents who cared deeply for me, uh, who uh, really value love and generosity and uh, grace and community. And there were just a lot of beautiful things about that. And I'm even really fortunate today that a lot of the change that I'll talk about that I've been through that my family, my immediate family, parents and brothers, stuff, they've been on that journey too. And so um, I'm really grateful for that. And, um, but, you know, we went through a lot. So yeah, I grew up, you know, 80s, 90s, I, I was born in Texas. And so I was kind of raised in really that Bible belts um, uh, area and, and that, that, that culture. And uh, grew kind of in the church, but I grew up more kind of in uh, a parachurch ministry called Young Life. So there's probably a lot of people out there familiar with the Young Life yeah, organization. For sure. Grew up kind of in that kind of culture, in that world. Um, and as a kid, like, loved it. You know, we were around a lot of community, a lot of people. And as I got older and um, in probably in uh, junior high, high school, really, I started to explore kind of faith on my own, um, really went like headfirst into getting involved in church and young life. And um, I kind of gave up even all that I was doing in sports and things like that as a kid, you know, uh, to really focus in on, on being involved in kind of junior high, high school groups and ministry. And I was really immersed in that stuff. And, you know, I loved it. Um, you know, I ended up getting in, picking up a guitar when I was about 15 years old. And sort of just, I got thrown up in front of church, started playing music at church and, and loved it. You know, I had a musical background, a lot of people, musicians in my family, and that really clicked for me. And I just fell in love with music and leading worship in churches and facilitating those kinds of experiences and got a scholarship to go to uh, Biola University. Um, uh, I saw that you guys, by the way, uh, I'm sharp a couple of weeks ago yeah. on the, the podcast. Uh, similar dude, path. He, yeah, he's very similar path. You know, both from Texas, both with worship leaders, both with Biola. We have a very, we yeah. laugh about it. Well, it's funny um, too. I almost, I also got a scholarship to, to when, by the time that I was, I don't know if they had this when you were, I'm, I'm about 10 years younger than you. I don't know if they had this when uh, you were going to Biola, but like by the time I was coming around to that in the late two thousands, they had like a worship leader degree yeah. that I got like a scholarship for. So I would, I was yeah. like between that and this other private, you know, this private university that was, um, not Christian, uh, and ended up going yeah. with the latter, but it is, it's funny to see those sort of like, weird synchronicities of yeah i i couldn't believe it when we were at the mentor tree and you both were like biola and i was like what the fuck <laughs> such a small yeah. random yeah yeah well this was early like you know so for me this was so i i graduated high school 20 years ago this uh this month and so this was 2000 and this was really when kind of the christian worship music scene was really beginning to 
take off and becoming more popular. You know, you had like UK bands like Delirious and, yeah. you know, all, for those of you who kind of remember, grew up in that space, the and music like started to take Michael off. Michael Tate and like, what, what was, yeah. where did Michael Tate come from? He came from the, DC Talk, yeah, man. DC Talk, yeah. DC Talk. yeah, yeah, yeah. There was all kinds of crazy um, stuff. Even yeah. like Amy Grant was a uh, like yeah. she had some mainstream success, but she was like primarily a Christian artist, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. and then that evolved into all the more scene totally. bands like Skillet and <laughs> like uh-huh. all, all that stuff. That's where and that stuff was taken off, and the university at the time was like, you know, they had like a, a classical music major. But they were like, oh, man, our students are kind of craving this kind of new wave of this kind of worship music experience. And so they brought this guy in who had a lot of experience with it. And he basically recommended them, hey, go around the country, recruit these worship leaders, give them some money to come here, bring them here, let them start musical projects, bands, and then just send them out, send them camps and conferences and churches. And they can like, the kind of phrase was, Hey, shout the name of Jesus. And then like whisper Viola. And so it was like, that was kind of like a strategy, right? It was a, Hey, you can start this thing and, and help create this, you know, experience for students on campus and beyond. And it's a bit of a recruiting ploy as well. Sure. So I, so Ryan Sharp, who you had on here, was kind of the first of those guys. And then I, I you know, followed him. And so I did that for a long time, went to Biola, you know, majored in um, uh, Christian education, which is not really a thing, but it's a thing there. And, you know, minored in uh, biblical studies and right out of college, took a job as a pastor, moved here to Sacramento in 2004, started a church and was a pastor, I co-founded and pastored a church for a number of years. Um, you know, I mean, this could talking about kind of growing up in a church and its impact and all that kind of stuff could be a, a whole thing. So I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to keep it like just the, the nuggets. But yeah. So I was pastoring a church here. Um, and it was really like a beautiful thing. You know, we were really trying to kind of think differently about what it looked like to be a church and a community. And we started out by trying to really basically like cookie cutter copy uh, our kind of mother church, which is down in San Diego. Mm-hmm. We tried to move up here and basically duplicate the whole thing, um, which never works. What what does that and, what does that look like at the ground level of starting a church? Like you're you're saying, like how do you get those first sets of people to start coming out? Well, it helped for us that we were coming from a really large, popular, kind of hip church in San Diego. There was a name behind it, right? Yeah, we had name recognition, and we had connections, and it just started small. So you're like, oh, hey, we're we're starting the sister church up in this place. So you have – we had funding for marketing. You know, uh, we had funding for staff. Um, And so – on our target was college students. And we started out on the Sac state campus, just like this church in San Diego did on the San Diego state campus. So you, you know, got these, a, this youthful group of, of people yeah, that yeah, are the really, core we're, we're of the out, church. We're out a place on campus. Yeah. Let's get the big sound system. I was doing the band. We had the speaker. We just basically were trying to do the same exact thing. And we did that for a while. Uh, we did that for a while. And, um, you know, uh, we were liking it, but at the same time, there was something happening with us that were a part of this that 
would start to change. Um, you know, we, at one point we bought a coffee shop in downtown Sacramento here just because we wanted to like understand the community and culture. So I moved downtown and I lived up the street and I would wake up at like 4am in the morning to go down and open this coffee shop. And I was managing this coffee shop. And this was the first time I had really lived out on my own. I mean, yeah, I'm, yeah, I moved away from my parents and I went to college, but that was a bubble. Yeah. My first year here in Sacramento, I lived with kind of like the co-pastor and his wife. I was their roommate at the house in the suburbs. When I moved into kind of the downtown Sacramento, and this is, you know, Sacramento, like Portland, we're, we're, this is not a, you know, first tier city like a Chicago or San Francisco, New York. Right. You know, we're like this kind of third tier city where it's small enough to make these really connections and kind of feel like a, a small town, but it's still diverse. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was living in this really diverse area of Sacramento and I was running this coffee shop and meeting all these people. And I began to have experiences with people who I had been told stories about and had labeled for a long time in my life as being a certain way that these were, these were people who were other. Um, and I began to meet, folks and just ran straight into a wall with a lot of my beliefs about people and who they were. Can you, can you and, expand on that and like give yeah. us an example of like, uh, sure. Like I, I, uh, you know, I started to meet, I, you know, gay neighbors and meet kind of, uh, these Muslim people who would come into the coffee shop and interact with, um, homeless folks, you know, were coming through, you know, the coffee shop doors and there's getting coffee and, and I started just not just liking these people, but like loving these people. And, mm -hmm. um, I started to really rethink a lot of what I had been told about who these people were. And for anybody who's kind of been through the deconstructive process, it's very similar to like people who get, you know, into work around injustice, you pull out like one, it's, it's like, kind of like Jenga, like you pull out the one piece and like the whole thing begins yeah. to crumble and fall. So tell me a little bit about like some of the pieces that you feel like even, and this isn't to like hate on Christianity, mm -hmm. but sure. just what like growing up, cause I also grew up in very much like white evangelical Christianity. Mm -hmm. Like what yeah. were, what were some of these pieces that you ended up deconstructing, um, yeah. you know, in this moment meeting these kind of more marginalized groups, in the coffee shop? Um, something that really kind of like, I just, I'm kind of feeling kind of come up for me right now at that question is a sense that everyone else who's outside of Christianity is like just walking around hopeless. Yeah. They're lost. They're lost. Yeah. And that people, the, the, the kind of root, a lot of like when I grew up was all about evangelicalism, like even really involved with young life. It was just all about like saving souls and For getting sure. people to say this prayer so that they would spend some day somewhere else. And everyone became, people weren't, beautiful, you know, images of God that could teach me something. Everyone was kind of this project. And I, I remember feeling like everyone I would kind of approach at first was kind of like, Oh, 
let's let's do the this test are they christian or not christian okay well cool we need to get them a christian are they are they in church cool we need to get them in church mm-hmm. it's all people were this this kind of this list for people they kind of this they were this, this project yeah and this idea of I, lostness is so pervasive and so and so and, yeah. and sort of just like a piece of our evolutionary biology too that, that can be tapped into and sort of hijacked in terms of just like in group out group um and and then once yeah. you tie it into like the uh you know saving someone's soul for eternity now the stakes are so high that you're like we got to get them in the group yeah like they got to be in the group yeah just the idea of like trying to control someone's spiritual journey is so backwards and like far from the message but that must have been like unreal for you like the fallout from that since that was like you immersed yourself in that community your entire life then pretty much right yeah, so you know, I started to really ask a lot of questions as I began to kind of pick the pieces apart, kind of brick by brick. And when you start doing that, you go through a a lot of phases. You know, yeah, I'm 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 like even feeling as I'm talking about this, like guilt and regret. Um, you feel like, oh my gosh, I've invested so much time in this thing or this way of showing up. I feel a sense of like lost time. Um, you feel a lot. And then, so, and all the while trying to kind of move in this church community, which by the way, was like at its time, super progressive. Like we were talking and trying to do things, you know, as we, a lot of us were on this similar journey. And over the course of the, you know, the, the decade long that this church was around, we, you know, were always rethinking. We were like always kind of starting over again. Let's start over. Let's, let's do it this way. Let's do it this way. And I think it just finally got to the point where, you know, we shut the doors down in 2010. So about 10 years ago, we, we closed the doors of this church, mostly because we feel like it had run its course, at least how, like, where we could take it and, 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 and go. Um, I kind of compare it to like, you know, um, an athlete just knowing when to, when to just hang up the jury and like go move on. We just needed to do that. And there was a, there was so much going on, I think with us internally, we just needed to walk away from it. And there were definitely issues within that community and within our leadership and things we were going through. But at the same time, you know, it was a beautiful season. It was a beautiful thing. We did some great stuff. And even today I still come across people who are part of that community that, you know, that was incredibly transformative for them. But I will say all this in the midst of that one thing that was really hard for me was still within that. I was kind of putting on, I, one thing about, you know, being in church and especially being someone on stage, like if you want to hide at church, be someone who goes on stage. It's the easiest place to hide. Right. It's not because in the back. It's, it's assumed that you are. So I grew up in like a mega church. Um, <laughs> yeah. And th- right as we joined the mega church, my freshman year of high school, and the church was already growing, you know, at this point it probably had like 2000 members. So it was pretty big. Um, and that pastor, like right as we were, we joined like a month in the pastor leaves cause he has an affair. Um, but it was, yeah, it sort of like clicked with me of like, Oh, of course that is like, yeah, the best position to be in because everyone is just assuming that you 
have your shit together. And that kept happening as the church, by the time that I graduated high school and I stayed in that church, there was like 7,500, 8,000 members. So it really had become like an actual mega church, especially for a suburb of like Denver, you know, there weren't that many people around. It was, it was huge. People were coming from all over the place. And, but, but the people on stage kept churning because they, yeah, their shit kept getting found out and there was no grace for them. Um, yeah. If you fucked up and you were one of those people on stage, like, no, like there was no grace for you. You're, you're mm-hmm. done. You're done. Yeah. It, it's hard. Like when you're going through so much stuff that you don't really have a space to talk about, but then you're kind of, you keep on kind of getting out there and presenting this thing, kind of this perception of you and the real you that just continues, you know, and I'm like pulling my hands apart right now. If the if people don't see the audio here, you know, it, that space that just keeps on getting further and further apart between your true self and this kind of person you put out there. And I just came to this breaking point and I was going through a lot of stuff and I, I didn't really know what I believed anymore. And eventually I just walk away from a lot of it. And when you do that, there is, and to your point, there's a big fallout. You know, this was my, this was my vocation. This was my social circles. This was my, like I, I, my identity. And when you, start to question that and move away from that, it was really, really hard. And I experienced a lot of emotional, mental, uh, even physical fallout during that time it was really hard. I, I got ghosted by like a lot of people as so I was, you was know, this is also like at, at the genesis ha- of social media. So, go ahead. What was happening? Like you were leaving, you were leaving the church that existed or you were just wanting to step down from a leadership role or like what, well, eventually, yeah, we closed the doors of the church, and then, you know, I kind of began to kind of forge a new path, and I just began asking new questions, exploring new things, and picking up new books, and, and asking new questions, and this was also, like, in the early days of a lot of social media stuff, and I began to ask questions, even kind of more looking for some public discourse, and I got, you know, I, I have a buddy uh, I was, I had, I had this blog back then and I had a, he's still like one of my best buddies of like 20 years and he's a pastor at a church here, but this is a, a the church he was at at the time. Um, he, and I had some, uh, some loose connections with them and, and some of the, some of the work that they were doing. He told me that one day he walked into a staff meeting at this church that I did not attend, that I was not on staff at. And that day someone had printed out a blog I had written. And like printed out, and it was like sitting at like everybody's seat, like walking out because this was going to be discussed, wow. like at the you know. So there was a lot of like you know, as I began to talk, and you know, the, the church I was a part of was you know pretty well connected in Sacramento. Everyone was like, "What's going on?" Right, you're just doing some real deconstruction, like you're like you're kind of yeah, and, and it just got messy. And there were I got you know there were a lot of people who sent just I got like really nasty emails um, from. And even from people who, like, I had grown up around and from kind of back where I grew up in San Diego area, a lot of people, even to this day, you know, there's a lot of people I think you've just kind of, like, kind of written that off and, okay, he's not this anymore or that anymore. And lost a lot of, you know, friends and relationships throughout the process. And um, that's hard for me. That that, that was a really difficult process. Um, But I had to re- you know, um, for maybe those of you listen, uh, Dan named Rob Bell um, always talks kind of about, hey, you know, we're, we're born in this way of, and we get, we get oriented 
into a certain way of, of being and, and aligning with the world around us. And at some point we go through like disorientation. And so like my, my like mid twenties to like my early thirties was all just disorientation. It was just this really crazy. And I was married you know, we were trying to figure, we got married in this context and we were trying to right. renegotiate that. That was complex. We, and I think now kind of towards the end of my thirties, kind of with kind of 40 on the horizon, I think I'm moving into a split, uh, a place of reorientation. Okay. What does that look like now? Um, but that time, that decade long time of disorientation was really, really hard. And I have a big, uh, space in my heart and in the work that I'm doing now for, um, particularly men are, really going through that process of rethinking their faith and helping people navigate through some of the mental and emotional fallout of deconstructing faith and trying to navigate that process. Um, so, right. Cause like yeah, you that's, said, that's your, like your identity me. is so wrapped up. I mean, I mean, God, the, the, the social aspect of it, um, and, and especially if it's your job too, like that's, that runs deep, but the end of the day, like the deepest part is that it's, it's who you are. It's, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and especially if you're, this is something you're walking away from in your adulthood or, or trying to rethink in your adulthood. Um, and regardless of whether or not it's faith related or anything else, like just trying to, to crack something open and deconstruct any belief system that you have as an adult is tiring and um can be like pretty disheartening you know it it doesn't it's not it doesn't feel hopeful necessarily at first maybe later um but the initial the initial move is feel at least for me like i felt pretty alone in the moment that i decided like i needed to uh i needed to forge my own path and and needed to step away from the church i did not feel like yeah, I, the only thing I felt was like I'm stepping away from the community that I know and and everything that I have been brought up in uh, into complete mystery, and who fucking knows what's gonna happen? But I that's yeah. what I'm feeling called to. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was deeply lonely, uh, especially yeah. that first year. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, absolutely. There's a there's a loneliness and isolation. Um, there's an anger that definitely comes up. You know, I was I spent a lot of time being really angry at the church, uh, at my evangelical upbringing. Um, there was I just you know when it it was almost like when I first almost kind of like snapped out of it. I just saw everything that was wrong, and I just started right. going after everything. You know, from you know especially for me like I this when this happened, there was a lot going on, at least in California around, um, legal rights, uh, for the LGBTQ community. And, you know, the church is just in the middle of all that. And a lot of these kind of social things are going on that I began to kind of wake up to, and it made me really, really angry. And I spent, I spent a number of years being very, very angry at church. And I still get that sometimes I think more, in a more probably healthy way now than I used to. But I, I think anger was a part of that and, and which was tied to kind of grief and loss. It was almost like, man, like this whole, you know, this, these stages of grief and loss is what I went through. And it was, it took 10 years, literally yeah. 10 years. Right. I think it was, a, it's, there's a lot to be angry about, you yeah. know? And there's, a, there's, yeah. there's just so much fucking hypocrisy 
in this thing that oh. could be this beautiful experience for people yeah. in their own personal spiritual journey. And it like every core message just somehow gets broken and distorted into like right. a lot of gross shit. Like our last guest, yeah. um, Jacob, who's he's he's younger. He's like 23, 24. Um, but he grew up in the Mormon church and he was talking about how and he used this term that I, I don't think I'd ever heard before which was pharisaical. He kept talking about like all these, all the pharisaical thinking uh, and all the pharisaical actions. And, and that is uh, so apparent in really any religious organization, but definitely in like American evangelical Christianity. Um, yeah. yeah. You, you read the new Testament and and you're sort of like, you know, this is like the, the core, core truth. Um, and then you witness uh, people embodying uh basically the villains of that story um yeah. and there's still people and there and it's not that you know they're trying to do anything necessarily super malicious but you just yeah. see them like wow you really f- fucking missed the message of what was being yeah. taught well i think yeah. it's just it's just hard with that amount of people to get on the like same page too like any organization yeah. that you're going to be a part of and i think there's like this weird balance that has to be figured out of you know a lot of people go to church and they want to save face and they want to kind of Uh you know not expose what's really going on with them and i think that that's understandable because you don't also don't want to be become the gossip of the church because that's going to happen with that amount of people too and you don't want to be the person that's going through these hardships and then it gets like distorted into like this crazy shit. Like, like Karen is sleeping with three men right now. And then all of a sudden Karen's like the whore of the church or something, you know? So I think that, I think it's a hard thing to like try to figure out how much of yourself you're supposed to expose. And especially to that large of group of people. It's true. You know, that kind of vulnerability. And I, I have to look back on that. And I have, I kind of hold two things. One, yes, there were ways that I was the victim of, of certain teachings and practices. You know, we could probably spend a whole podcast talking about purity culture in the 80s and oh, 90s. And sure. how that, you know, that I would say probably that is maybe one of the most long, the, the biggest one of the biggest impacts on my life. Super. And, it's how, the, and how it's still about your, Yeah, that? for me, it I also has the most damaging effects. Purity culture. Yeah, totally. At the same time, I was part of the problem. I was advocating for that. I was, hold, right. I was, I was wearing slaughter. a purity ring. I was wearing a purity ring. And I was on stage. I was like part of spinning that bullshit. And so I have, I'm like, okay, you know what? I was both the victim, but I was also part of that. And I have had to also deal with the ways that I had shown up and how I was been part of the problem. You know, I mean, a lot of us are going through this right now when it comes to, um, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about racial equality and, yeah, same stuff. It's like, wow, you know what I am, I am when it comes to whiteness, I am a victim of, of whiteness to some degree as well, For but sure. I'm also, I a also hold it, up. Of it. Yeah. I'm also a perpetrator of it. And I, and, and understanding how both are working out in my life. Um, are important. Same thing with kind of looking back. It's like, man, I, I sometimes look back and 
and I just cringe at some of the the things I remember doing and talking about. Mm-hmm. And there are times when I've just said, man, I wish I could just go back and find people who you know, I had maybe said certain things to or encouraged like, so I, I man, I kept me up at night even thinking sometimes like, Hey, did I create some real, like, did I create some real doubts? I mean, are there people out there these days that were like a part of like something that I did and I, we can't control all that, but I I've had to work through some of those feelings as well. Like how, how have I been part of, you know, really propping up patriarchy? I, I had views of women and, and people who were gay and all this kind of stuff for a long time. And I acted on those things, mm-hmm. not like, you know, yeah, not, a lot oh, of times probably unconsciously. Sure. It's not overt violence, but, but the unconscious behaviors, um, yeah. that are more covert are, are still damaging to, to those people. And that's something that, yeah. yeah, I think we all, I mean, we're all straight white men here, at least, um, it's, you know, you're married, so I'm assuming, yeah. but, um, yeah. yeah, that's something that we all have to sort yeah. of wrestle with is like, yeah, no one comes out of this fucking clean. If you're a straight white dude, there's no chance that you weren't also at some point, um, yeah at least a piece of this problem. Like yeah. you couldn't not be. It's just recognizing that like old white men are trying to keep it that way. Right. Right. <laughs> and we're and trying to move like, on. This <laughs> is like, all right, well we have to be yeah. the ones that are like, yeah, we don't need to control everything. There's no, there's no winning in that. So yeah, yeah it's, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to unpack all of those things for sure. And, and to have to deal with, like the fallout of also like losing relationships, like you're talking uh-huh. about, you know, and what was it like? Yeah, yeah, I, what were you and your wife kind of on the same page the whole time? You just kind of started having these discussions together or was that a whole nother thing that to work out? Yeah. You know, she didn't have the same kind of upbringing that I did. So it was a little bit different. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we're newly married and then we were going to be celebrating 14 years this next month. So we were, we were pups when we got married, we were so young and, um, we had no idea who we were and not just that. Then all of a sudden we did this radical change. It was really, really hard. Like how we're like how we made it through that and are still married is like bonkers to me. Like, and we talk about that. Like we, we stuck together through some really shitty times. Um, and I think especially for me, just kind of going through just a really dark period in my life, you know, she hung in there, but we, you know, and probably honestly, some of the like hangover of like that really strong, like evangelical kind of commitment to marriage, you know, like, no, like things like divorce, all this kind of stuff. You don't do that when you're like in the scene. That's not, yeah. you know, that kind of the fear of God and that, and, and like reputation, like work in the church. Some of that, honestly, right or wrong, probably kept us together. And it was probably a temporary glue that allowed us to stay in it long-term to eventually like put some healing sure. into our, into our marriage and into our lives. But, oh, yeah, it was messy, man. It yeah, because you obviously wouldn't still be together uh, with the yeah. family that you have if if uh, you didn't have more than just that temporary glue. Because, like, you're 
alluding to that glue is not yeah. strong enough. Um, yeah. To it's like you know even with early on like you know my our um, we were still going through I think a lot of this even when our when our oldest our my son was born and I would say he probably kept us together but he can't be the reason he couldn't be, we knew he couldn't be the reason why we stayed together. Right. Like, you know, he kind of kept us here because he, we had this newborn and all this kind of stuff. And, but we knew that because one, that's not there that you can't put that on a kid and that's not enough, you know? And so there, I think there were things that kind of kept us temporarily glued enough time for us to kind of move and, and grow enough to finally, eventually find the healing that we needed to move into a renewed sense of you know commitment and marriage and all that stuff. So, uh, oh yeah, for sure. Uh, that's, that's a tough place to be, but you know, like I, I still, I, again, I just have a huge heart for people kind of going through that process. Um, I still get a lot of emails or people send me direct messages on Instagram or whatever, like, Hey man, like I'm reading your stuff and I get it. I'm on staff at this church and I'm starting to question anything. Or I don't know what I believe anymore. And I'm just, I'm, I don't know where to talk about it. And I got, I got a big heart for that because I know what, you know, they continue to follow that. They continue to follow that leading. There definitely will be uh, uh, some some challenges down that road, mm-hmm. and I think that I think people uh, could could use uh, some journeymen along the way in that. So, sure. which is uh, something I'm passionate about. Yeah, sure. So back to your story. You're yeah. You're in your, I guess, mid to late twenties at this point. Sort of like wrestling through deconstructing you know, finding these things out, like, or just uncovering these things, like, wow, purity culture was kind of fucked up. And I also, uh, mm-hmm. was a part of it, you know, like yeah. an, an active member of it and helped push uh-huh. it forward, um, unknowingly or knowingly or whatever. So, so, you know, what's next? How, how do you, how do you land where you are today? Ooh, you know, I guess the biggest difference is that I don't feel like I need to like, I, I don't, I guess like landing the plane anywhere, like for me, you know, I think I went through a time where I feel like I needed to find something like, okay, what am I going to be now? Right. Like, what am I going to, yeah. Your ego being like, gonna, we have to have a new identity. Yeah. What am I gonna be? Like, you know what? I, I still identify as a Christian, like, because it's, it's like my, it's my mother tongue, right? It's the language I was born with and it was the orientation I've given. And it's still a beautiful way that I help, that helps me make sense of the world. Mm -hmm. And if I'd have been born somewhere, I would have given a, been a different language and a different kind of orientation. And I still like the kind of the perennial Christian faith is still something that I think is, is beautiful. It's just way more expansive than I ever imagined it to be. And I've seen it just kind of blow up. And, and during that time, you know, I'm so grateful for the people who have done so much work and forged ahead and, and written books and done incredible work that, you know, a lot of the stuff that was growing up was kind of always in the naughty section of the library. Like, no, you're not allowed to read. You're not allowed to read that stuff. That's, you know, crazy, you know, liberal, you know, out there stuff. That's not really Christianity. Um, and man, I'm just so grateful that work and the people and and the relationships that I made that time, you know, I I think about, you know, Ryan Sharp, you know, you had on this podcast, he was someone who, um, 
was really important for me around that time. And he introduced me to some other people and I, it really began to expand life and expand faith mm-hmm. for me. Um, and I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, so kind of, you know, so what's next, you know, we, we stopped going to church, you know, for a really, really long time. You know, we didn't, we didn't feel like that was where we wanted to be. And it was really beautiful. We kind of got our weekends back and our Sundays back and we were growing this family. And, um, but I, but I knew that for me, there was still this kind of like, I don't know, this kind of holy hum, like within me, this kind of longing to continue to explore, um, the spiritual life. But I think that I knew that needed something different for me. It needed to be different than it was before. And a few key elements are missing that I'll, that I'll bring up. Um, one was, I realized that, oh, for a lot, you know, and like, Christianity in America, as we know it, is not bold, right? Like can evangelical kind of Christian church as we know it these days is not very old. But me being a part of it, at least my role in it and where I was at, what I was doing, was spending a lot of time worrying about like people's souls and people's afterlife with the detriment of what was happening in the world here and now. Um, and during this time, you know, I got, I was really fortunate to be able to go on some trips to different places around the world with some different people and just began to just get my mind blown um, by different cultures and people around the world and what was happening in the world. Um, and that was just not a part of my spiritual experience. And so I really, through these past years, I would say some of the, the deep spiritual work of my life has been immersing myself in stories outside of my own stories that are not male stories that are not white stories that are not straight. Um, and doing everything I can to sit at the feet of teachers that are unlike myself and to read and grow, to hack my social media algorithms and just immerse myself in teachings by queer black women. Um, Yeah, I think it's so important to ultimately that work is just going to get you closer to being able to figure out what's it like to be everybody else. You know, and I think when you're a straight white dude in America, you know, it's very easy to never do that because you're like, well, we're the like we're home base. My experience is home base and everyone else is trying to like normalize to this. So why would I why do I need to expand? And and the reality is, is the sad reality is or has been at least like you didn't you didn't have to. You could just lean into that straight whiteness and maleness and like you were going to be fine. And I think what's cool about what's happening right now is exactly what you're talking about. It's like, no, you need, regardless of who you are, like you need to understand other people's perspectives and their stories. Um, and Mm -hmm. it is an incredible teacher in your life. If you, um, get to step into a world that you knew absolutely fucking nothing about. Yeah. Perspective Mm -hmm. is such like a big piece of the puzzle. Yeah. It's why everybody enjoys like biopics or, or autobiographies. Like mm-hmm. you can learn so much from somebody's journey and like what the world is like through their eyes. But yeah, um, yeah, basically, yeah. And basically things like, Oh my gosh, God is not white. Like, wow. Like there's all these things you like that just diving into the spiritual stories and practices and lives of people, I began to think everything differently, you know, from, Oh, like 
so much of my interpretation of like the Bible and the story of God was through my own lenses. And when you put someone else's glasses on and begin to look through it, you're like, oh my gosh, mind blown, just completely becomes expansive. And that work, that work of, of expanding my understanding of other people and other people's experiences, especially marginalized communities was a major component of my spiritual upbringing that was missing huge. Sure. I mean, I think, I I think that like any white Christian today in America would read Exodus and identify as the Israelite as opposed to the Egyptian, which is very silly because that is not who they are in that, in that Mm -hmm. mythos. In the, mm-hmm. in, you know, whatever that story is with these, you know, you have the oppressed and the oppressor and like the yeah. white Christian in America <laughs> is not the enslaved Israelite that needs to escape something. And that story still has something very powerful to teach you about yourself and how to, you know, navigate where you're at. Um, Jesus was a brown man killed by the police. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, well, it's true. It's like, you know, you like all that, you know, reading the Bible from the perspective of the, of the, of the oppressed and things like that is, is the, the, the idea. And it, that's, I mean, there's something in there for everybody, but it, I just came to this fully new understanding when I really began to not just, and not just read about it, but begin to meet people and be a part of communities that have been historically marginalized. And that became real spiritual work. I think lately too, Another um, arm of, I think, Christianity that was missing in in my life and something I've become connected to is really this sense of embodiment. That, and what I mean by that is, growing up evangelical, the body was always seen as something like bad. Hey, you know, the the, the you know, spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? right. Like it's where all the sin is coming you know, from is the body, right? Totally. Like, like my entire goal is like a young, like Christian teenage kid was just like to, to like to not masturbate, and like if I didn't do, if I didn't masturbate for a week, like dude, just put me up in the pulpit and I'm gonna yeah. preach, right? And you're like, already abstaining like, from from alcohol and drugs, so you're killing it in that regard. And if you can just not touch yeah. your dick and not yeah. think about boobs so much, then like, yeah, you're yeah. really you're what really doing it. And I, and, and, you know, I didn't ever really like the body was not a part of my spiritual practice. And I'm only realizing this, I think even in the past couple of years about how disconnected I am from my body. And I think to be honest, I think a lot of men, um, this is a, a experience this, you know, we can get very cerebral in the way that we're kind of showing up and, and easily disconnected from our bodies. And I've realized how disconnected I am from my body. And I am finding this really new wave of joy and gratitude as I've started to do more embodiment practices. So this is things like breath work. This is stuff like yoga. This is like that really connects what's going on in my mind and spirit into my body. And I'm like, I remember, I'll never forget going to my first yoga class and I, you know, and I only just like a long time, you know, it was, you know, growing up, it was like, Oh, yoga's yoga's the work of the devil. Like yeah, you know, Ryan kind of, Sharp like, told us that, in, right? that Biola literally sent out like a memo being like, this is why we're not allowing yoga on campus. Well, it's, it's, yeah. it's, they, 
they just want to keep you away from anything else that's going to give you some spiritual right. awakening right. or yeah. experience because then you're going to recognize that it's not all in one place and that you don't yeah. have to show up that to this place not the on keepers, Sunday. The keepers of all the spiritual truths yeah. are not necessarily I, within the church. I mean, that's part of like getting to the part or to a point of maybe feeling like God is more of an experience rather than this person. And it's like more of an energy and that you can tap into it in many different places and what you're doing. It's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll never forget it. I, I, my, my first yoga class and I remember going in and this is, this is a number of years ago, but I, I, my wife finally dragged me in, you know, and I was like, all right, I'm going to go. And, um, and I remember sitting there listening to, this human leading this experience and the way that they were talking to this group and what they're leading. I remember I, 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 I started just weeping and I thought to myself, Holy shit. I am so being led in worship right now. Right. Like, Here and it I is was again, I was like, Oh my gosh. I just, it was like this guy, I remember him starting. I'm like, isn't it good that we're together? Let's just all find a space to connect with one another, with the divine. And I could find my own space in that. But I remember just getting my mind blown and being like, oh, my gosh. And looking back now, like even as a facilitator of the spiritual experience in the church, right, it was mostly confined to like music, re you know, reciting of prayers. It was still, you know, there was not a lot of body and, and movements, I feel like, at least in, in the space that I was at. I know there maybe are different denominations out there who are maybe more embodied in their worship. But that was something that was really, really missing in my experience, but also in the way that I facilitated. So for me, I think uh, what I'm loving is seeing how this plays out into our bodies and getting reconnected to that. So, yeah, I mean, like, that's I feel like where, you know, I don't know if that means like I've landed anywhere. Honestly, I, I think maybe where I've just grown the most is feeling like. I don't really feel like I need the land anywhere, like I, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the journey. I'm enjoying the ride. I'm enjoying the discovery and, and, and seeing the world in from a, a place of wonder and what can I learn from it? Not what can I teach it and how can I save it? So within, so. within that, how do you feel just to, to go back to the embodiment piece? Like, how do you feel like being in your body sort of connects to this place of, of moving through the world with, yeah, more sort of like, wonder curiosity you know search of beauty type thing um and then i also would be curious to well i'll i can't ask four questions at once so i'm just gonna do i'm sorry we'll start with that he one. does this sometimes yeah <laughs> we'll start with that Let's one get, yeah. and then and then i have a follow-up we get a little baked that. and then we want to ask like oh, four questions at once yeah. i think the embodiment thing i think one of the things that's the greatest gift that, it, that embodiment gives is is presence and I think when you, well, I think good embodiment practices that I've been a part of have really allowed me to get into, into the moment and really be present with myself, but also the practice has helped me get present with other people. And when mm -hmm. we're present with other people, when we can show up and be fully there. Yeah. Kingdom of heaven. Yeah. It's like, when I mean, we're fully there. Yeah. We, I think we can begin to create greater connections when, when I'm more in tune with my body, it allows me to be more in tune with how I'm feeling and be able to express and evaluate and regulate my emotions, which has a big impact in the way that I connect with others and I move throughout the world. 
um, when I'm, when I have a healthy relationship with my body and, and food and all that kind of stuff, it, it I, I am more healthy. And so I think it, it's, it's, it's felt that way. Like I would say, um, there's an element of sexuality that is important as well, you know, growing up and even, you know, in, within the kind of purity culture, you know, the, the body was just, again, going back to the idea that the body was bad. It's just, you're just going to like be led astray. And there's this kind of, you need to beat your body into submission into this one way. And when you grow up, always seeing your sexuality as being this negative thing. And that message is pumped into you for years and years and years and years. You don't just turn a switch, man. Like you don't just get married and all of a sudden, Oh, it's cool. You know, years into marriage, like I would still feel a guilt and a shame when it came to sex. Still, you know, even in the comments of marriage and that stuff just does not go away. I mean, that's, that kind of beats things into your brain that take a long time. So I think embodiment is also like appreciating yourself and mm-hmm. embracing um, your, your sexuality and that as a, as a gift and as a, something that's beautiful and it's rewiring a lot of that that's really been helpful for me in navigating my way. Sure. And to your point of just about sort of sexuality, I mean, the, the harmful things that we're taught growing up regarding sexuality are things that we end up embodying unconsciously mm-hmm. that we then have to, the only way to get rid of it is to get back into your body. So that you can release mm. some of that yeah. bullshit yeah. That, it, that you've just been holding. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's a lot of work, but um, yeah, I think it's it's important and worth it, especially if you grew up in a sort of like purity culture, um, which I, I definitely did. And you, yeah, I, I would say um, to some degree, like it's still, there are still things that I have to work through when it comes to, comes to sexuality. Um, yeah. And, and, And a lot of people, there's a lot of talk that, you know, addiction is not the result of like some depraved monster with inside of us, but it's actually like, you know, Joseph Campbell talks about, um, not following our bliss, (laughs) you know? And like, so this, this idea that like, actually it's our lack of creativity in feeding our desires that creates addiction, not some like crazy thing within us. that just like, Oh, like I want to, it's actually, no, I have, you know, sexual addiction, you know, alcohol addiction, whatever was just us not actually tending to those things enough in a certain way that caused the addiction. And I think, you know, it was all growing up in this kind of like no culture and this suppressive culture that was all about, you know, very rarely I've learned is abstinence, like a really great solution when it comes to like stuff. I mean, everyone's got to make the decision for themselves, but I think that created a lot of, uh, repressed, uh, people. And I think, uh, I think we're seeing a lot of addiction come out of it. So, yeah, um, for sure. I yeah. Maybe I, some mass shootings even. Yeah. I think yeah. it also just like creates this thing that, like it creates a stigma around sex that isn't a real thing for everybody. Like mm-hmm. it's just, it's not a part of everybody's spiritual like beliefs and yeah. everything, you know, and uh-huh. it can yeah. definitely create, it can create a lot of judgment. I think if you are somebody that has practiced abstinence or like been on that purity kick or like really only tried to 
sleep with people that you felt like you had this love connection with or something, you know, I think, yeah, it, yeah it just creates a lot of, uh, false narrative for what other people's experiences and values are with yeah. it. Absolutely. I mean, you know, again, that kind of wiring and programming, I mean, doesn't go away either after marriage. And I think that, um, that could be, I think a lot of marriages and these people I talked to, you kind of grew up in very similar ways, have very similar struggles around really being comfortable in their own bodies with each other and under, and even under, even under, even like sexual education, understanding the body and, and like what's good and what works and what's great and what's beautiful. Like that was, it was always just like, Nope. Hey, yeah, don't worry about it now. Right. Like once we get married, all that kind of stuff, it just comes natural. It does not. And I think there is a lot of, obviously there's a lot of, I know a lot of people who have been through, went through a lot of trauma, um, as a result of purity culture. And I, and again, I hold my, I hold that in, in both hands, understanding how is both the victim and, and ways that maybe I was also the victimizer of that. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, mm-hmm. that's been a, that's been a big thing to overcome. For I would sure. say even overcome like, it was a big thing that, that I continually have to work through. Yeah. It's a heavy one. And, and trying to figure out like the balance of, of feeding into those sexual desires or like, finding healthy ways to, you know, kind of in, involve yourself in some, some of those kinky things or whatever, you know, it's just or like, just, yeah, you, sexuality you, in general. Yeah, I think you definitely, when you get raised in an environment that does not promote that or does not even really want to have conversations with it about a lot of time, it can definitely brings yeah. out some strange feelings and sure. some, some, yeah. Even like you're saying, I'm 35 and, and definitely unpacking some of those things for myself right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So what I'm interested in doing now is taking taking a line but from sort of you saying that, you know, you still identify as Christian, obviously, from a, a completely different sort of perspective uh, and more from a way of like it, it serves you spiritually. But I want to draw a line from that to sort of where you are now in terms of, cause I know that you are like, you put action into the world, you know, you are an activist and you stand for, um, social justice and all these social causes. Um, and I do think that that is like very much the root of what Jesus taught. Um, and I, and so I'm curious sort of like just in your journey, like how you, how you got to this point as a straight white dude who, you know, there's no reason for you to stand up for these things. They don't really affect you. Right. Like you could just do nothing and your life would be unaffected largely by all of the things that you're probably fighting for. So I'm curious, like where that awakening was, where you were like, I have to stand up for the, the oppressed and marginalized and I need to like raise my voice against this oppression. One of the things I am grateful for in my upbringing, the culture, like love was still valued, like loving other people um, and caring for other people, despite the ways that collectively maybe that culture fell short and individuals fell short, it was still a value. Caring for others and seeing others um, as being valuable. 
And I've, I've always taken that, you know, that's always been a, that part of me and, and that, that Jesus was for everybody. And I would have said that even though like there were things and it, it had limitations and I, again, it's, it's super complicated <laughs> growing up in that world, but, and the things that I was aware of, but I still have brought that into you. And when we see people hurting that you help them, that when you see uh, people who are hungry, like you, you'd give them food. Like, why wouldn't you do that? Like that was still something that was valued. And I, I take from that and I'm grateful for. Um, and so when all of a sudden it like, when I began to deconstruct, that was one of the things that was big for me. It was like, Oh my gosh, how little of my faith and how little my Christianity is spent feeding people who are hungry, clothing people who are naked, um, you know, fighting for people who don't, who are right. marginalized. All, I, all theory, no practice. My, I mean, so much of my Christianity was just kind of wrapped up in like this church life and growing churches and like just getting people into that church. Like that was what was just so consumer and not this sense of like, I don't know. It, it was so limited. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And when I began to listen to some pe people talking about Jesus in the way that, you know, you're describing and this Jesus who was always on the lookout for the, 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 the marginalized in the room and these stories that are about this equipping and empowering of women and people who were, you know, differently abled and all that kind of stuff. It's like, Oh my gosh, I never saw it that way. I never been, you know, I just, and the more I read during that deconstructive process and, you know, I started out reading, you know, guys like, you know, Shane Claiborne, like irresistible revolution and, um, uh, Brian McLaren. Like these were like writers in the early days of my deconstruction that were really, really helpful. Um, Yoder, you know, politics of Jesus and all this kind of stuff really began to help me see that in a new light. And then again, my experience in the world and what I was seeing and the people I was meeting all kind of created that space. And so, um, um, I really began to see not just like Jesus, the savior and Jesus, like the son of God, but like Jesus, the activist, Jesus, the, um, uh, like, as you said before, you know, the Braskin middle Easterner, you know, killed by, uh, the law enforcement of the day and yeah. the religious establishment. I was like, wow, wow. This is like, the end to see it as subversive and really dangerous. And that changed things for me. He's like this common person. It wasn't, yeah. yeah. It wasn't this highfalutin fella. It's, it's interesting that, that, uh, what Christianity and all the different branches have evolved into and why that message isn't, uh, brought about or like taught more and it's more yeah. taught from this, this, uh, this mindset of how can we like kind of control these people into this way of thinking? Well, and there's to also this thing too, of like, even if you are starting to integrate some of that, like the mega church that I went to took to heart, this message from Jesus of, we need to take care of the widows and orphans of the world. And they lit. They did it literally. They were like, "We're pinpointing Afghanistan 
and we are going in and we are going to help as many actual widows and orphans as we possibly can. And the church as a whole did that. And lots of people donated money to that. And that's great. That's great. Absolutely. But, but what about you as an individual embodying that teaching so that when you're walking down the street and you see someone who needs help with something so that you feel called to actually do that instead of just being like, I gave 10 bucks into the the offering bucket and that helped someone, you know, that helped a widow somewhere. So I'm good. Yeah. Or telling, you know, someone else that you're with within that group, like you don't want to end up like that guy or you don't end up like a loser like that. Right. Right. Drugs will take you there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, it's, uh, it's really important and there's a lot of, um, yeah, I, I just think that I didn't have the that imagination uh, when I was younger, and I think it was just very limited. And I'm, I'm, but I'm just so grateful that I've been able to um, just learn and grow. And it hasn't all been easy, but um, it's been really important. And I still have so much. I'm just continuing to learn and grow. Um, I mean, like my parents. Uh, I, I just I know so many people who have been on maybe a similar journey that sounds like the, you know, three of us have been on who still go home to really hostile environments who still go home on holidays and they sit around Thanksgiving tables and they're just like, Oh, they, it's an oppressive like environment. And I'm so grateful that that's not mine. I mean, like my mom, you know, as I was even going through my just kind of this deconstructive journey and reading in maybe her eyes at the time, like really strange books, literally I'd get text messages from her emails. She'd be like, Ryan, like, what are you reading? And I'll be like, oh, here's some books I'm reading. She would literally go buy those books and read them. So we had something to talk about when I'd go home. Like she would like, lo- like love yeah, her kids that much. And be like, you know what? This is, this is uncomfortable for me, but I want to stay connected to my kids. I'm going to read what they're reading. And through that process, through that journey of exploration, like they, they were, they've been transformed as well. I mean, these are not the same people that raised me. And, um, we can have really robust dialogue and, um, about like life and faith and love and and God and, um, and what's happening in the world. And I'm really, really grateful for that. And it's taught me to continue to be a learner, uh, to continue to grow, continue to stay open. Uh, I think that's really important right now. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about kind of white, um, kind of cisgender kind of white, you know, maleness and how that's showing up. And, um, I think it's really important now more than ever for us to continue to sit back and be learners and be humble in that. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I'm, I'm really grateful. So just, um, I was just kind of keep learning, stay open. That seems like the move. It seems like the it's way the to least, do it. I mean, it's what needs to be done. Other than uh, white straight men fucking fixing what they what they broke, uh, which is ultimately yeah. what needs to happen, but that starts with every white straight man man, uh, yeah, starting to figure this shit out. I mean, yeah, and it, it can be scary at first, and and like you know, I was thinking about it on the drive over here, um, just like when I was like sixteen, some of the shit that I thought and I believed, and you know. Granted, that was that was a, a generation ago, basically, in my life. But um, yeah, there is there's always room for for growth and change, 
And um, it's so funny to look back on who I was when I was 16 and some of the things that I thought, especially about race. And, and they weren't necessarily um, like overtly hateful or anything like that. But even just talking about, um, you know, even now knowing that like saying something like the bad part of town is a is super fucking racist um when i was if i tried to explain that to 16 year old me uh, he Mm. wouldn't have gotten it he would be like what are you talking about there's nothing racial about that like it is more Mm. dangerous over there and just the lack of awareness was so so deep and i i just knew nothing and so now Mm. i can like understand all the context behind like why that is deeply racist to describe you know, a poor black area as the bad part of town, even if it is in jest or joking or something. Um, and that's a small example, but yeah, I think to your, just your point about your parents, like it's important to, to be a lifelong learner and to recognize that like, it's sort of your duty to humanity at the very least to keep evolving, to keep striving towards something, um, that's, that's more true. That's, that's more good and more beautiful and whatever. Well, it's always changing. If you're doing that, the thing is always changing. Like if you're evolving, like that thing that you're chasing after, I think is going to keep changing. So, right. Um, yeah. Would you, you, earlier you said that you do identify as a Christian. Would you say you mm-hmm. identify at like with the core values of Christianity rather than identifying with the community as a whole? Or do you struggle with that part of it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, listen, there are a lot of Christian people and groups out there doing some just really beautiful things. Absolutely. And I'd be not to say, I mean, we've even found here in Sacramento, this uh, Central United Methodist community that is amazing. And they're just doing some great work in the community. And they're this just beautifully, like, diverse and rich, beautiful um, community of people that we've just really kind of taken to. And even our, our move into that community has been really slow um, just because of kind of our past and history, but it's just a really great place and recognizing that, yeah, you know, I think there is definitely a sickness within uh, American Christianity that is being, um, and it's being hijacked by its, you know, marriage to capitalism. You know, yeah. Conserv- <laughs> you know, American, uh, the, the Republican party of the United States of America. And it's, it's been manipulated for, uh, for decades. Uh, and I think that there, that marriage to, um, it's also like not necessarily new, like the church's marriage to the state and to empire is very, um, is, is very old. Um, uh, but it's still something that we're seeing, today and that's definitely a problem um and i'm still uh i'm still pissed at you know american evangelicals for november 2016 and you know i think that they you know we still have a lot of you know learning to do and movement to uh yeah so there's times that still kind of makes me angry and frustrated, but I identify with a lot of perennial Christian beliefs. I wouldn't say that I identify with the you know, evangelical church anymore as a, as a, as a, as a collective group, not as like individual people. 
Um, I, there's a lot of people that I love that are evangelical Christians that are, that are wonderful and beautiful and doing good things. But as a collective, I don't necessarily identify. And I don't know if I have like a denomination or anything like that that sure. I necessarily like cling to, but um, I would say that there's, I would still that, um, yeah. Well, I don't know if that's, that, that, that might be like a really long winded way of not really saying anything at all. No, it makes sense though. <laughs> but, it makes sense. I mean, we talk yeah. about this a lot on this podcast, this idea that, that Jesus taught in a few parables and in, in terms of like, people have to, f- people have to find this on their own. No one yeah. comes to anything like th- through someone evangelizing to them. And that's where I think the, just the notion of uh, the evangelical church that you should be, consistently proselytizing and and this is sort of like you know as we've gone through the new testament and and for me it's been about a decade since i've like left the church and i'm now going back through the bible and sort of seeing jesus's message like very quickly sort of co-opted by the rest of the new testament and paul and some of these other people into something kind of pretty different than what he was maybe actually teaching. And I don't think, I mean, there's, there's a lot of parables where he's talking about like, yeah, everyone is going to, everyone is going to find this on their own time. And until then don't judge them, just love them and know that like they have to find their encounter with the divine, like in their own unique way. And then it'll Mm -hmm. be beautiful and meaningful, but you're not going to like give that to them on your own. Keyword being their encounter. It's their, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Like finding this is like whatever this is for that person. And it's just probably not going to like exist in that box. Yeah. I mean, it sounds, it it sounds like cliche, but like, I'm like, Hey man, you know, I'm just going to like, let love lead me, let love and, and openness and expansive and wonder drive me for sure. Let that go where, where, and let that go where it is and and look for ways to be a part of the healing of the world. And that's what I'm after. So wherever that lands me, well, that's where I'm going to be. Yeah. I definitely, uh, I'm all about that. God is love, uh, situation. And yeah, it's just like that. Let go, let God thing is is helpful at times and uh-huh. there's definitely good people in in all groups like we we've talked about that a lot too like there's a lot of people who are deeply identify with a religion and it serves their life very well and they seem to like really yeah. understand like uh-huh. those core teachings and then there's shitty people in every group this is like totally. bound oh, yeah, to happen within any yeah. organization whether the intentions are good or not good so Mm -hmm. and and i think we're all like we're just in a weird time in the world right now where i think most people are unpacking shit like outside of all of the racial injustices just all the injustices and especially people of our age of being kind of raised with like the first wave of Mm -hmm. the internet and now there's generations that have never not lived in a world with the internet and they're just there's yeah. just more information available about everything, and we're just seeing that we've pretty much just kind of been fed like some mainstream bullshit for the most most part to like keep us all dumb to the smoke and mirrors shit that's like actually happening. Mm-hmm. So I think it's this is just like an interesting time for everybody to be doing some some unpacking on on some level, and yeah, yeah. We appreciate you doing some unpacking with us. It's uh, it's a cool thing to have people jump on here and be uh, vulnerable and, and open about their experience and 
definitely uh it's usually a stranger for one of us so it's fun to have like yeah. that dynamic yeah. and this is just like a super fun way to to get to know somebody for a first time meeting so thank you for yeah, doing yeah 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 it's my pleasure guys and i love talking i think it's important and uh there's work to be done absolutely uh did you want to wrap up I know you you asked Ryan to to hit us with uh, a verse from the Bible. Yeah, do you have anything from this uh, from this day of the Lord section in Amos that you find particularly uh, noteworthy? I mean, there's a lot in there, um, and I do think it's very uh, very poignant with uh, everything that's happening right now. Yeah, you know, a lot of people like I think call you know, Amos. He's just one of these like legendary kind of social justice prophets, and you know, the prophets were just. Um, there's a lot in there about, you know, unmasking the injustices i mean they they would get, you know these prophets would get descriptive about a new kind of world that could be possible but not before like just raking the current structures right like, he says in, in verse 20 chapter 5 verse 23 of amos he says uh, away with the noise of your songs i will not listen to the music of your harps but let justice roll on like a river righteousness like a never failing stream mm-hmm. so like you're saying like yeah it can't it can't come the justice can't come until we pull down this facade of whatever the fuck. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you can't. And I think that's what's going on nowadays. These days, this is unmasking. Like you can't have a new world until you've unmasked the current one. And I think the prophets and Amos is a great example of that saying like, Hey, like there's this unmasking and there's this like thing that needs to take place. And I think that that's true about cultures. I think it's true about individuals. I don't think our new self, we can't move into this, maybe this new way of being until we've really taken the time to unmask the current one. And that, can be a very uh, hard process. It can be a painful process, but it's a necessary one. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're seeing the power of the people right now. It's pretty wild. It's, and if uh, you're having trouble yeah. getting to that deconstructive process, I might recommend um, a prescription of mushrooms, of, psil- <laughs> of psilocybin, <laughs> might help you break that down. Um, I'm kidding, of course. Or just speaking to people about your experience. That's that's also a yeah. good thing to do yeah. if you are uh, feeling 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 alone out there but you're right Uh it is it's hard work it's hard work to look at yourself and be like damn i was i've been wrong about all these fucking things um and now what um safe to say it would be all right to include some of your social media handles in the episode notes if people are you know dealing with their fallout of their own yeah absolutely absolutely um i work with um i work with men I uh, do some men's work and some coaching and things like that and helping people just navigate um, places they might be stuck in life. But yeah, it's, I think one of the places that I talked to a lot of guys is uh, people navigating through uh, deconstruction and faith, those kind of transitions in their life. Um, and been through some of that myself and would be happy to journey alongside others. So yeah, please include always people can get in touch with me. Sure. Right on, man. Well, like I said yeah. before, we really appreciate you. And this was like a really great chat. So thank you for doing it. You got it, guys. Absolutely. It's good to see you again and good to meet you. Uh, Um, I think we'll definitely want to have you on in the future. If, if you, uh, if you felt good about this, it sounds like we have a lot more we could talk to you about in in more depth. For sure. Yeah. I'm I'm around. Look me up. Right on. (laughs) Cool. Thank you so much, Ryan. Super appreciate it. Good to see you again. 
And uh, all right, guys, take it easy. Yeah, absolutely. Be well. Talk soon. All right, take care. That was tight. That guy's that guy's great. Yeah, Ryan's great. It's crazy that we've had. This is our third Ryan. Uh, a lot of Ryans out there. So many Ryans. A lot of white Ryans um, going to church. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or that used to or whatever. So, um, yeah, it was a good chat. Um, I will say it's, I, that dude is super humble. Um, he really is like, uh, you know, he's, a, he's, he's out there. He's doing it. He's fighting the good fight. He has been. He's been fighting the good fight long before this current revolution. He was already fighting for this as a straight, again, like sort of, I was sort of trying to bait him into it um, with this question about like, you know, you didn't have to do any of this. It's not actually affecting your life. And yet he has been fighting for this Black Lives Matter movement, like long before it became, you know, this, this particular this point. wave like, of yeah, it. He's been in it for, for years now. He is very much an activist um, and, and a part of all of these social justice movements. And I think it's very cool to see him translate his spirituality in, in that way in terms of like, you know, true action in the world. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, like Jesus teaches, he's he's not doing it to be seen. He's he's a humble guy, uh, which is cool. But I know that he uh, he helps a lot of people with his uh, with his coaching um, and the and the stuff that he does with men that are sort of trying to figure out their shit. So um, people yeah. should definitely check that out. <laughs> Seems like a great dude. That was super rad. I um, I think I'm I'm finding out through this podcast that I'm very. Um, Obviously, Ryan's path has served him, you know, in, in different ways. Um, but I think I'm just, like, really grateful that I didn't grow up maybe with the church as big as my my whole life yeah, experience. Yeah, it can fuck you up a little bit. Like, I don't, I, don't necessarily, I don't necessarily have those parts of it to unpack, you know? I kind of seem to always have friends um, that were just very i don't know they just didn't all like align with the same thing so and i think maybe that's one of the reasons that i do have like a lot of these like really long lasting relationships because it wasn't like tied to this thing i didn't like lose a bunch of friends making my exit from the church really right i didn't have many of those people sure but i am doing like the similar unpacking of like the last 10 years of finding out that all of everything that's kind of mainstream news wise has been kind of a lot of nonsense. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I relate to it in that way. Mm -hmm. It's like viewing the whole world is like through this different lens through all that is, uh, is gnarly. So I can't imagine like that sort of fallout where you lose like the entire community of the whole thing. So no doubt the world's on fire. But I think it's it's heading in the right way. It's 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 what is necessary. Yeah. It was a very appropriate verse that he brought to the table, and we will put all the links in the episode notes. And please send us your goddamn emails so we can talk about some things. And maybe y'all check the email sometime since we've been demanding that yeah. people send them. I just got so used to them being empty. I stopped checking. Yeah, someone sent us an email to check Daniel on his uh, administrative abilities. That in the uh, Instagram account will be uh in the episode notes so you can uh you can definitely check that out 
And remember to smoke, pray, love, and don't be a fucking racist. Plus up. Plus up.